On this episode of the Insured Tech Geek Podcast, talking about advising clients in the age of technological disruption with Karan Mishra from EY. The Insure Tech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. We are back again, Rob. Uh, good to see you. Sweaty hot summer already starting in Texas. Uh, talked about that last time on the last show, but uh, it's still still definitely here. The heat <laughs> is on. It's on the street. Uh, you can put that on loop probably in the next uh, podcast right? report for three or four months, James. Exactly. <laughs> it's on the street. The heat is doom, 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 on. I mean, I tell you, I have a, I got a song for anything. With us from a not so hot part of the country where I will. I'll be soon. I, I've, I've got to go to the Reuters uh, insurance conference coming up in June. We'll be up in Chicago. He's in Chicago land with us from EY, otherwise known as Ernst & Young. His name is Karan Mishra. What's up, Karan? Hey, good, good to see you, James. Excited to be here. And speaking of weather, this is the only time of the year where we get to talk about weather and nobody else does in the country. This is the five months of the year when Chicagoans can talk about the weather. Yeah. Other than that, it's terrible. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yep. Cold, windy, nasty. It's, it's okay. It's okay. I'm a huge Cubbies fan. So I, uh, you know, I'm enjoying baseball season. Uh, even if the games don't always break the way I want them to, it's still enjoyable <laughs> to watch the Cubbies and uh, it's all, it's all good, man. I I'm looking forward to my, uh, my, my, uh, my next, uh, my next Cubs game, you know, um, talk to me before we talk yeah. about EY, before we talk about work, let's talk about you. Uh, you got a, um, a bachelor's in uh, in computer science. Yeah. Uh, wh where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in India in a city called Bombay. Now most people know it as Mumbai. Uh, for those of us that grew up in Bombay, I still call it Bombay. So talk talk about hot. Doesn't get hotter than that. Yeah, it gets super hot and super humid, and uh, it's 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 kind of like my home state of Louisiana. It's just uh, very very hot, sticky, and humid. Uh, a lot over there, right? For sure, for sure, it really is. So growing up a young boy in India, what was your career dream as a kid? Interesting question, right, James? I, I think, uh, so to be perfectly honest, I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, growing up in India, you, you really, uh, I think a lot of it is just the focus on academics, right, as a country. You don't really have a ton of options. It's either you, you go for, you go to be an engineer or you got to be a doctor. It's one of the two. Um, I always aspired to be a doctor. And my father, who was a pediatrician, said, that medicine is going to be governed by technology by the time you're old enough to be practicing medicine. And, you know, he was quite right. If you think about it, computer science technology is dominating almost all fields, uh, right? Whether it's, whether it's medicine, whether it's insurance, which I'm sure we'll talk about some too. Um, so I ended up being an engineer. Okay. So you, you didn't have dreams of uh, becoming the, you know, the next Sachin uh, Tyndall car. I mean, like this wasn't like, this, that wasn't that wasn't in the in the cards. You know, it it it's not that it wasn't in the cards. It was never on the cards as a profession. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think I was good enough to do that. Just between us, right? I don't think yeah. I was good enough to go play cricket. Yeah, if it if it involves uh, a bat, a ball, and aim for me, I'm not really meant to be playing it. I, <laughs> I don't I don't I don't have the aim, man. I don't have it. I, I look every single sport that involves aiming something at something else. Not good. I, I like anything involving balance. And uh, we, when I, when I played uh, 
the American version of cricket and baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always played catcher when I played soccer was the goalie. Goalie. When I played water polo for my college, again, defense. I, I just wasn't an offense guy and and couldn't couldn't place any. I heck man, I can't wad up a piece of paper and throw it in the trash can. I miss every time. So it's just not <laughs> it's, it's it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna so, happen. So James, you you're the guy I should go play golf with. Is oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh no, hundred percent. Right, there I, we go. I I'm I am I am the most consistent golfer that you'll ever play with. Consistently 105. Okay, so that's you're going to love playing against me. It's going to be great. You're going to have a great day. You're going to feel good about yourself. Uh, we're going to, we're going to drink. We're going to have a good time. So you, you, uh, you went to undergrad over in India, but then you came to Carnegie Mellon for your master's of uh, information systems management. What, what brought you to America? Uh, so I think growing up in India, right. And recognize you're talking about the early two thousands, right? So the opportunities, at least uh, from an, and this is interesting, right? So my ultimate goal, I was a computer science major in my, in my bachelor's. Um, I didn't want to lose touch with that degree. And the thing with graduating with a computer science degree in India is you have about 200 million other people that are graduating with the same degree, right? So there is, you have to find a way to differentiate yourself uh, from the rest of the populace. That was one reason why I thought a master's was important. Um, then it becomes the question of why the U.S., right? And, and I think this holds true today. I think this held true even in the early 2000s. Um, it's a land of opportunity, right? I think when you think about places where entrepreneurship is, is encouraged, where people are allowed the opportunities to be whatever they want to be, the U.S. always comes to the forefront, right? And I think very similar to a lot of other people that had the Amer- American dream, so to speak, right? That, that was part of the motivation to kind of move to the U.S., um, getting an admittance to Carnegie Mellon was not the worst possible thing that happened. Uh, I'll be perfectly honest. There was a moonshot school. So when I got into it, it was sort of a no-brainer, right? It was like, okay, I got to be crazy to walk away from this. Um, so I think it was a combination of a few things, right? The combination of the market in India, the opportunities you could get coming out with a, with a bachelor's degree in computer science, and the, just on the flip side, the opportunity that you could wheel off in the U.S., I think a combination of those factors prompted me to move. Yeah, I gotcha. And then you you actually spent some time briefly as an intern at Allstate, and then you actually jumped into Deloitte, then EY. Then I mean, you you you've had some a, a, an array of, of different jobs. I I started out at Price Waterhouse Coopers uh, twenty three years ago. Did a grand total of six months, and then started this business when I was finishing grad school. I, it was not my uh, not my forte, but you uh, definitely chased the uh, the consulting advisory track mm-hmm. and. What was the, you know, after interning in an insurance company, what was the, the motivation behind chasing down the, the career in, in, in consulting and advisory services? So it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. If, if you think about even the Allstate internship, just, just to kind of start there, um, I was contemplating between two opportunities, Allstate or Verizon. Um, and the roles were completely different. The roles at, the role at Verizon was, and this was 2004, 2005, was building a location-based services app. It would have been the first of its kind because unlike today, we don't have location-based services apps at the time, or it was doing competitive intelligence for Allstate and insurance. For me, the biggest driver for going with Allstate was I, you know, computer science degree, Indian guy coming out of India, going to Carnegie Mellon, talk about a perfect stereotype, right? I wanted <laughs> to kind of move away from that, right? I wanted to move away from that. I wanted to get into sort of strategy consulting, which is what the big four, you know, the Deloitte, the KPMG, the Ernst & Young, the PwCs of the world were into, right? So coming out of Carnegie Mellon, it seemed like the logical move just to leverage my technology acumen, the the, the education I had 
and really apply it to business problems. The other truth about consulting and why I stuck around for close to 20 years and did everything I did, you're solving different problems every day. You're not doing the same thing every day. You're not talking to the same people every day. It's, it's very unique in that sense as a job, right? Because you're learning every day. Not that you don't in other jobs, but I think just the learning curve in consulting is so sharp. It made it very, very interesting um, to go after that as a field and, and keep, keep a sustained interest and what you do as a as a day job, if you will. Yeah, makes sense. Well, let's let's kind of step through to now. Like, what led you to to the, right now? You're involved as mm-hmm. the life insurance technology leader, at EY. What was the what was the path to that? If you know briefly, and then we'll talk about what what it's like to advise in life insurance. Sure, sure, of course. So, so you, you we kind of talked about the fact that I graduated from Carnegie Mellon. Deloitte was the firm I, I started with. They recruited heavily out of campus. And, and this was a funny story on how I continued with insurance. I remember starting with Deloitte and one of the partners um, asked me the question. I was like a staff at the time. And the question was, hey, we want you to get engaged at an, at an insurance client. Um, how much experience do you have in insurance? And can you spell insurance? And, <laughs> and that, was the, that was the question, right? So I could more than spell insurance at the time, having spent a few months at Allstate. So I started off there. And, and honestly, my, my goal at the time, James, was to go back to India, um, spending, you know, five, seven, 10 years, whatever that would have been uh, in the insurance sector, and go back to India because it was a burgeoning middle class insurance was going to take off in India five, 10 years from when I was there. And I wanted to be the guy that had spent time in a matured insurance market and take all the learnings back to India as firms from the US and the UK would launch in India, right? But just because of the, the, the consumer market that was growing. Um, there were a lot of things that happened along the way over, over the nine years I was with Deloitte, some personal things that prompted me not to go back. One of them was meeting and marrying my now wonderful wife, um, who, I met at, who I met while I was at Deloitte. But I was about nine years in at Deloitte, uh, spent time there, um, and then I got a call from EY. And uh, I moved over because EY was looking to really build and focus on their life and benefits practice, right? So there was a heavy focus within the firm to actually build the capability there. And, uh, and I thought it was an interesting opportunity, right? I was very entrepreneurial. I always wanted to start my own company. This was a perfect opportunity for, from, from Ernst & Young's perspective to actually, to actually grow and build a business and, and manage a PNL. So I did that for a little bit, continued to solve some of the, the problems we're having in the market and the industry. And then about two years into being at Ernst & Young, um, I was talking to my wife one evening and I was telling her that, hey, you know, we should, we were thinking about starting a family. We didn't have kids at the time. And we had about two or three years before we would have started thinking about starting a family. And uh, I felt that was the best time to go out and, and try something on right? Once you have a baby, I figured it would get really hard. So from my vantage point, it was, hey, it's now and ever. So I went out there, saw a problem on the on, on the life side of the market, decided to capitalize on it, started off at InsureTech, it was called Spree, ran it for four years. Um, we saw we were fortunate, we were lucky, we probably hit the market at the right time, um, got acquired by a leading player in the space called Finios. Uh, post-acquisition, Honestly, James, I was trying to figure out what I want to do next. It was starting another company or or getting semi-retired. And, and uh, I started talking to some of my, my friends and colleagues at EY. And I had such a great experience hanging out here the last time I was here. I was like, you know what? There are interesting things still to do in the market. I'm not ready to, to hang up the boots yet, if you will, with an insurance and insurance tech. 
So I came back to Ebola. So tell me what uh, what you do now, and then we'll move on to, to Rob's questions. What's the what's the role leading insurance uh, life insurance technology leader at EY? Sure. So so I think of I think of that role in a in a few different categories, right? So um, primarily, I would say every day you wake up and you're serving clients, right? So you're serving life insurance clients. You're giving them business advice. You're giving them strategic advice. You're helping them figure out what markets they should go after. You're helping them figure out how to optimize their bottom line. So there's still a lot of interesting problems to solve in this space. And that, that's a big chunk of what we do day to day. Um, another hat I wear with an EY is actually uh, helping us drive our strategy for Nexus, which I'm not sure if you've heard about it, James and Rob, but it's, it's our take on incubation and platforms in the market, right? So one of my charges is to lead that for the life and the benefits group with an EY, which is really interesting and exciting, particularly coming off an insure tech background, right? Because it's a really interesting ecosystem play that we are bringing to the table, which in my mind is very differentiated from what anyone else is doing in the market today. Um, so if I had to kind of categorize that, those are sort of the market facing roles. Outside of that, you know, we of course have our teams, we have our partners, we have our Insure techs in the market and a big focus of mine is sort of stitching all of those things together to see how we can bring them um, together for our clients while de-risking de-risking delivery. Akron, thank you so much for for sharing your background. Um, I really want to dive into kind of uh, your view, right, of the the marketplace, how it's evolved, and in where it's going. So you've got you know almost twenty years of experience advising uh, clients on business and technology strategies, as well as right that that uh, firsthand experience yourself, kind of from a startup. So what are the some of the more significant changes that you've seen in the industry, and how do you think these changes are impacting the way you work with clients and and helping them develop uh, strategies? That's a that's a great question, right? If if you think about the industry, Rob, right, particularly the life insurance industry, I don't believe the industry had fundamentally changed. And if you talk to clients, they'll, they'll tell you the same thing, right? In, I don't know, 70, 100, 120 years, I, I don't think the industry has changed, right? We'll talk to clients even today and we'll hear technologies that are called Life 70 because they were built in the 70s, right? So you're still in that era. However, in the last... I would say it really started about a decade and change ago where the life and benefits industry really started thinking about, hey, products are getting commoditized, right? So the life insurance product you buy from one carrier or a benefits product you buy from one carrier is very similar to the product you would buy from someone else, right? So the margins were shrinking, the products were getting commoditized. So I think now as an industry, insurers, life insurers in particular are forced to think about, I think, two different things in particular. One, how do you differentiate yourself in the market from the rest of the competition, which is one part of the equation? And how do you keep thinking of new and unique ways to drive value in the market outside of experience? If product is not your single biggest differentiator, the way you model products today, right? Because I think there's a whole conversation around you could model products completely differently than the way you do it today. But the way products are modeled today, you don't really have that differentiation, right? So how do you create that value proposition in the market that, that, is, effectively, that is effectively saturated with products, right? So I think that's been the biggest shift I've seen in the market. So if you think about that and translate that to how we advise clients, right? That has changed completely. Because if you were advising clients 10 years, 12 years ago, a lot of the conversations were about Hey, you know, and, and I'm not saying some of these conversations have changed, right? Some of these conversations are, are still very relevant, 
But most of the conversation was about, hey, think about like this new, you, you're launching a life insurance product, maybe go the term route. Hey, you could launch these three other products to get more wallet share from your consumers. Hey, let's automate these processes at the back end because they are manual, right? So it was a lot of sort of basic blocking, tackling, getting efficiencies, using technologies like at the time, Pega and others to build things. And, and you, you know what I mean, right? There, there wasn't that bleeding edge technology bent. What happened, fast forward to you know, 2000, even 20 now, 21, 22, insurers have become a lot smarter, right? Life insurers have figured out they need to do something different on the market, which means we as, as advisors to our clients have to come with that perspective, right? And that perspective is not just perspective from a life insurance perspective, it's a broader industry perspective, right? So, and, and people say this often and, and clients are unique, but you have so many things you can learn from other industries. Yeah. So many different things, right? You can learn from retail. Think about the way we experience things. Uber, Amazon have changed the way we experience what we, what we demand uh, from an experience perspective as consumers. So now when we're advising clients, we have to, if clients are not already there, we have to force them to think about the future. We have to get them to, hey, what are the 20 different things you should be thinking about? Which means we as advisors need to be on the bleeding edge of everything and not just everything in the context of insurance, but everything else that we can bring in terms of learnings from other industries and experiences into insurance. So I think it's fundamentally changed the way we advise clients, both in the way we advise them and what we advise them. Very good. Let, let's talk about you know, the, the, the cool things. I mean, I, I'm a technologist, so I like to geek out and you're in All life. Right. Uh, Robin are primarily property and casualty, but there's a lot, to, there's a lot of crossover between PNC and life and health. A lot of people don't like to, to say there is, but the reality is that there's a, there's, there's a lot that you can learn from both sides that helps you um, improve and innovate. Um, mm -hmm. So what, what are you seeing as the, the major innovation drivers in life insurance right now? You're, you're neck deep in the space. What's, What's really driving technology and process innovation in that sector? So, so let me answer the question two ways, right? So I think you, you said PNC and life are alike, and, and I don't disagree. There are a lot of learnings to be had across both industries. Correct. That's, yeah, right? it's and, more yeah. automated, yes. Yeah, yeah, more, more a crossover. And I 100% agree with you, so I'll stop there, right? If you think about what, what PNC insurers have to do very often, at least from what I understand about the space and as a consumer, is you're constantly selling much against the fact that it's an insurance policy you have to buy, it's an annual term. So it's not like life insurance where, hey, I bought a policy and 20 years later, my beneficiary is getting the, or whatever, hopefully not 20 years, but you know, the beneficiary is getting the, the, the benefit of it, right? I think the big shift has been, if you think about life insurance, that focus on the engagement and the experience with the consumer, that was always a heavy focus on the PNC side because you had claims more often has now become a heavier focus on the life insurance side, right? So to answer your question, James, on where is this headed? Think about it, your products are commoditized. So what are you gonna differentiate on? You're gonna differentiate on your experience, that's one. Two, to be able to differentiate on your experience, you have to be able to understand and engage with your consumers differently. So today as a life insurer, you don't have the ability to engage with your customer unless you have a, unless you have a policy sale, you're cross-selling something, or at the end of it, you have a claim. And if it's a non-pure life product, so you know, if you're talking critical illness, accident, those type of products, at least the insured is not dead before you have an interaction, right? So I think what life insurers are trying to figure out is, 
how do I get more involved in Karan's life? So hey, Karan bought a term life insurance policy when, when you know, he was married, but we have no idea that Karan now has an 18 month old in the house. How do I engage with Karan to know that he has an 18 month old? So I can tell him, hey, dude, you need to go buy that next tier of a policy because you're not just by yourself and your wife. Now you have other responsibilities. So I think fundamentally finding unique ways to engage with your consumer is one end of the spectrum. And if I have to think 10 years down the line, I think insurers have to fundamentally change the way they underwrite risk, right? Your risk models, your actuarial models haven't changed significantly for a long, long time, right? Um, I think there are aspects of behavioral science and there are startups that are focused on that, that they are bringing in. There are aspects of publicly available data that you can triangulate from, that you can bring into the underwriting process. And none of these are going to be silver bullets, right? They're just going to be one more data point that you use in the underwriting and risk management perspective. Because the next generation of consumers is not going to wait like one month to give you a blood draw and then wait for the results of the blood draw and then maybe or maybe not get a, get a life insurance policy. That's just the instant gratification we have in everything in our lives today just doesn't lend well to the life insurance process we have today. Right. So hopefully that kind of answers your question. Right. But I think it's along along two sides. Right. It's it's differentiation in terms of the way you're conceptualizing products. And the second is the way in which you're engaging with your with your policy policyholders or your insurers. Yeah, Karen, I want to pick up on you, you kind of mentioned, right, the, the sales process for life insurance being very different than than property and casualty. And mm -hmm. I think about the nature of the products and I think about. You know, I think there was some challenge of like, do you go digital, right? And can you go digital direct to consumer? Do you go through agent broker channels? But yet it's it's not necessarily face to face. And obviously the pandemic really put a kind of a spotlight on this. So um, I'd love to get your thoughts just about kind of distribution for life insurance. I know particularly younger generations, as I understand it, um, the penetration isn't nearly as, as deep as it once was because there's so many different alternatives out there. There's an education piece to this, right? To even understand why would I need life insurance and then what types of products are available to me, you know, fewer and fewer people are going to a financial advisor, say, right, or that kind of in-person agent. And then the other part I'd love to have your thought on is, you know, the blend of, of life insurance, maybe looking a little bit more like health insurance, having those multiple touch points that you talked about, you know, kind of engaging with me about my, my lifestyle, encouraging things. I think of a vitality type model where there's kind of rewards built in, right. And, and things like that in a way that you would have never had that number of touch points with your life insurer. So just you know, all aspects of interaction with the customer being from digital, from the you know, point of sale, all the way kind of through the, the life cycle of the customer. So it's, it's a really, so you, there are multiple layers to the question that you, that you asked there, Rob, right? Because when you, when you think about, so traditionally, right, just to kind of level set, if you think about distribution from an insurer perspective to your point, it's largely driven by brokers and agents, right? There was an old, older age, right? Like PNC products are bought, life insurance products are sold, right? Like you have to actively sell them in the market. And, and I'm kind of old school that way, right? To give my example, I've had the same insurer. I had one insurance agent that I got when I was buying my first condo. And I've basically gone to him for everything since. Right. So even as a guy that talks bleeding edge, edge technology, when it came to that decision, I just lean towards my agent because there is a level of trust there. Right. So I think as much as there has been a lot of conversation about disintermediation and getting rid of the agent and the broker, 
I think the pragmatic and the practical approach to this is, I don't think that's a bad strategy. I think there's going to be a level of disintermediation, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But I think in the near term, it's more enabling your agents and your brokers, depending on the model you're going after, with the best possible information to give the best possible advice to the policyholder, right? So I think there is an enablement component there with agents and brokers. Um, and the reason that enablement component is important is it goes back to what you said about education. Most people don't even understand why they need life insurance policies, right? Um, I'll give you a perfect example. When I was running the InsurTech, my co-founder um, came from Apple, right? No insurance background, nothing. Um, and I had to literally tell him that he needed to get a life insurance policy and a disability policy before he left Apple, just in case something happened while we were running the startup, right? So that, and this is a smart guy. He's well-educated, but he just doesn't have that, that experience, right? So I think that's that's one element of it. Um, I think the, the other element of this is from an education perspective, if you think about participation rates, when you're trying to sell a policy, for instance, to an affinity group or through an affinity group, your take rates are 2% or less, right? That's that's nothing, right? I mean, there is so much you can do. If you can, I mean, I was having this conversation with an insurer the other day. I was like, if you put in the right kind of effort in terms of decision support tools and actually arming people with the right information, if you get even a 2% bump, it sounds like nothing, but that's a 100% increase in your participation rate, right? So it, it's not like, like you need to do a lot, right? To see that level of lift in the market. Uh, the third point I would make, and, and this is going to contradict somewhat what I said on, at the outset, right, about not disintermediating brokers and agents. The flip side of that equation is there are brokers out there that are sitting on books for the last 20 years, and they're taking a 20% commission, and they're just sitting on that money that just kind of flows through the insurance policy, right? Nothing wrong with that. They have the relationships. But I think carriers, if you have an honest conversation with them behind closed doors, will be the first ones to tell you. That that's a 25%. It, it's a double-edged sword, right? They, they can't get rid of it because they need the book of business, but they would love to find a way without hurting their broker community to keep that 20, 25% depending on the product. So you can spread the wealth, right? It's not even like they want to add it to their bottom line, right? The insurers are saying, hey, if we could save even 10 points on that, I would give five points to, for instance, an employer, I would give five points back to the consumer, right? But I don't have the ability to do that. So I can't price more aggressively, right? So I think there is a space there. I think there is a market there. I just don't think there has been a company that's come out there that has successfully come up with a way to actually disintermediate the broker and the agent today. I think it's going to happen. I think there are a lot of people trying for it. I just don't think we are we're there yet, right? And outside of all this from a distribution perspective, and I'll, I'll, I'll just say this, I, I think there is a whole equity play, right? Just in terms of social equity. I think there is absolutely an underinsured populace in the country. And I think there is a distribution play that needs to be figured out to address that, right? And, and we did actually a, a study as EY, we were conducting this study from a, from a life insurance perspective in the market, and we found some really interesting statistics around how the buying behaviors, depending on the demographic you're going after, change very dramatically. And I think that was interesting for me to see because I don't think insurers necessarily market products that way. I think they're looking for that. They're looking for a way to do that. But I don't think they found anything that says, hey, you can cure products to specific populace 
um, in, in a very specific way to increase your take rates. So I know I, I answered that with, with a few different things, but th that was a multi-layered question. So I wanted to make sure I do it some justice. Awesome. Well, let's wrap up with this question. Sure. Um, this is just a, a general, as an advisor, consultant, thought leader in the space, how do you keep up to date with latest trends and developments? It can be so hard to kind of weed through all the noise and understand what's really going on. So how do you keep up to date with the latest trends and developments in life insurance and insure tech, like what resources, podcasts, websites, articles, like what, what are you doing to stay up to date? Cause that can be a really big challenge. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So I, I would say I spend about two hours a day reading and I call reading like a all encompassing umbrella, right? So you said podcasts, books, everything, right? And here's why. I think the, the broader you read, the more perspective you can bring to the industry you're operating in and have expertise, right? So I'll, I'll read things like broadly on the tech side, TechCrunch is probably, no surprise, right? TechCrunch is probably my go-to source for sort of the broadest technology news, if you will, right? If you go one level, I mean, I'll read Morning Brew, if you guys have heard of that. It's like an email newsletter. I love that stuff, right? I've been subscribing to that for, for years now. I'll read that. Um, we actually, as EY, get a subscription for, I think it's called the Life Annuity Specialist. So they do a good job sort of curating articles that are very industry specific. So I'll read that. Um, I will say this, outside of all of this, one of the biggest learnings I have is being active in the market. I can't tell you how many conversations I have in a day. Like if I had to take my day and break it out, I would say 50% of my day is spent, if not more, maybe 75% of my day is spent literally in conversations with clients, with platform vendors, with insure techs, with anybody that's willing to talk to me that's within or outside the industry that can teach me something, I'll go out there and have the conversation, right? And I think it's important to have that perspective and then you apply your lens and kind of figure out how to funnel that into a, a cohesive thought that you can you can take to the market, right? But that's that's kind of, I, I think that's the, hey, by the way, I do watch TikTok. It can be very educational as well yes. for what it's worth. Addictive and educational, for sure. I, I would agree with that. Last question, Cubs or White Sox? Hey, nothing like Wrigley in the summertime. I'll, I will... Uh, I'll be there and I'll be there in a few weeks. I can't wait. Well, look, Perfect. it's been a, a good discussion. Um, Rob Galbraith, as always, thank you for being here, brother. Absolutely. Great conversation, Cron. Great to have you on. Yep. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Really appreciate it. It was fun. We'll chat awesome. soon. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today to geek out for our interview with Cron Mishra from EY. See you next time. The InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge, jbknowledge.com. It's all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith at endofinsurance.com. And thank you for joining us today. Look forward to talking with you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.